All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. I'm your host, Matt Hines. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on another Thursday uh, morning or afternoon or in, uh, in our guest case today, maybe even early evening, depending on where you're, where you're joining in from. Uh, if you're joining us live, I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, the advantage of joining us uh, live for Sales Pipeline Radio is you can be part of the show. If you have a question for our guest today, if you have a comment, uh, feel free to put that into the LinkedIn comments and we might make you part of the show and uh, sort of give you a little shout out and um, bring your comment into the program as well. So thank you very much for doing that. And if you are listening or watching on demand, thank you very much for subscribing, for downloading. Uh, I think we're somewhere around episode 330 of Sales Pipeline Radio over the past several years. Every episode, past, present, and future, you can always find at salespipelineradio.com. Uh, every week, as you know, we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing, B2B specifically. Very excited to have to uh, with us today, direct and live from Scotland, Jamie Anderson. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Exactly. Jamie, thanks very much for hanging out with us today. Listen, I'm absolutely delighted to hang out, Matt. You, I don't know whether you know this, but you're a bit of a legend, right? You know What? what you, yeah, you're a legend. 47,000 followers on LinkedIn, 91,000 on Twitter. Listen, I, I was a humble CMO once that used to lap up your content. So let me tell you, you're a legend. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. It, I don't always feel like a legend when I'm sitting here in my basement um, surrounded by, you know, you know typical three kids in the basement and dog's basement. But, you know, I'll take what I can get. Well, thank you. Um but I want to talk. I think what 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 really was interesting for me is I want to kind of give you some of your background because, like you said, like you've had a varied career. SAP, Marketo, you do a lot of advising uh, with companies uh, in sort of go to markets, uh, sort of scale up stages. But what interested in me a lot was sort of this relationship with the CRO and the CFO, which quite frankly, like, you know, we have an audience that is sales and marketing, you know, marketing yeah. in particular, the better relationship you have with the CFO, the better off you can be. So let, maybe just let's start with a little bit about you, a little bit about exactly, and then why that relationship you think is so important. Sure. Well, look, let me start with, with exactly, there may be people kind of tuning in that don't know who exactly are, but you know, exactly has been around. It was formed in 2005 by Chris Cabrera, who at the time had this vision to create the world's, you know, first SaaS incentive compensation management platform. And he did that very successfully. You know, since their inception, Salesforce had been a huge customer and partner of the business. Here we are, you know, seven, 16, 17 years later, We've gone through ICM, we've gone into sales performance management, and now we're kind of, it's really interesting, we're talking about the CFO and things like that, but we're really forging into this space that we are defining as intelligent revenue. Mm -hmm. Because it is all about revenue. It's all about the fact that no two dollars are created equal, right? And it's that combination of, you mentioned data, right? Data is a huge component of it. Yeah. So it's like how we use that to drive, you know, scalability and performance and predictability into some of the world's biggest companies. And you use the phrase sort of flipping the relationship specifically, right, between the CRO and the CFO. What does that mean? Like, what does that mean in terms of where the relationship was? Why was that not uh, sort of successful or not sustainable? And what about that flip is helping organizations increase health and momentum and success? Well, actually, let me, get, let me give you a little analogy as well on that. Because remember, look, marketers and sellers were not always the best of friends either. 
Yeah. Remember, it was always yeah. the kind of, what have you done for me lately in terms of leads and all that type of stuff was the common thing I used to hear from CROs when I was a CMO myself. The thing that solved it though, Mark, what was it the thing that solved it? Visibility into data, sharing a common view of a data set. Now, that's what's happening in the, in the relationship between the CRO and the CFO. In the, oh, I don't know if it's like, okay, now when are we okay? Can hear you back? now. We lost you for a second. It's that underground okay. cable, the Atlantic. We're good now. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, um, it's all about data. And I think, yeah. you know, traditionally finance is driven almost entirely planning in business, which even goes into go to market planning. But we've not always been looking at the same set of data. You know, finance has, has their data. There's a lot of assumption based on data, like how long does it take a rep to ramp? You know, what is the average deal size? Um, you know, if we launch new products, what's the fastest time to market for these products? How many salespeople are successful typically? What makes a good successful sales rep? The thing is, over 17 years, Matt, we've built that data out, that data exists anonymized in our platform. So we know what good looks like. When you make assumptions and you're not using real data and you're not using the same data sets, then that's when things go wrong. So what's happening is, as people pour into this data, and I, I was talking on uh, like a podcast yesterday, the reality is that the CRO role is a data-driven role, just like the CFO. Mm -hmm. So actually what we're able to do is, as I said, look at the same sets of data and come together on what is the right path forward. How many reps do we need, right? Is it a big enough addressable market in this territory? So I, I kind of sometimes describe it as, you know, what you need, you need to be able to plan effectively. That's number one. So you need the data from that planning. You're able to put inside the right performance metrics the things that actually are going to be successful that you're measuring consistently and when you do that you have greater predictability in your business so those three things are really really important and that's what we help companies do so there's uh so there's a lot that we can sort of unpack here and sort of go into i think you talk about sort of shared data and i think it's important to yeah. point out the difference between transparency of data and shared metrics right i think yeah. you know so like you think about what comes from marketing and for too long marketers have defined their own metrics and acronyms we talk about mqls and sqls and the cfo doesn't care about any of that um you know the head of sales may not care about any of that either and so instead of inventing our own language it's one thing to say, here's my data. It's another thing to say like, hey, CFO, what data do you care the most about? And how do I start my metrics there and talk about impact metrics? And if I need to work my way back to operational metrics. And so if I'm thinking about marketing, sales, and then sales and revenue, to your point earlier about not just closed one, but lifetime value, yeah. what's on that combined dashboard that all those teams should be looking at all the way back to marketing as well? So if you look at things like... Um, if you look at overall rep productivity, right, and you look at rep productivity in each of the segments you go to market, and now most businesses, whether they're software, SaaS-based businesses, whether they're manufacturers, professional services, it doesn't matter. You, you are looking at your market maybe through the lens, first of all, of, you know, your small-medium business, your commercial general business segment, and then your enterprise business. No two reps are the same. 
right? So when you're doing your sales plan and you look at, okay, the velocity of business in each of those, you know, areas of, of sales, you're looking at the productivity of the reps. Now, the one of the really important things to establish is what is the optimal productivity? Because that's what your sort of top performers are hitting. So, you know, once you understand that and the kind of bell curve of, you know, you've got people that are maybe in the 30 to 40% attainment, and you've got this group that are in the 80% attainment, and then you've got this other group, you know, kind of tails off into 100, 100 plus. Now, what do their metrics look like in terms of their deal cycles, average time to close? You know, so you start to get really granular about the measurement. And then you can start to model and say, well, do you know what? If we could increase uh, the time to first deal for new starters, for example, right? So you look at how long the new rep ramp time is. So one of the things we measured when we started doing this together with finance, we found that new reps in commercial, for example, were taking about 140 days to their first deal. We went, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why is that? You know, and then it was a combination of multiple things like, you know, enablement, for example, or what I call global sales productivity. But, you know, making sure that you're coaching consistently is not a one and done thing, right? Because, I mean, I could go off on a tangent here. I'll try not to because we're short on time. But you need to continually coach, right? So you're looking at all those coachable moments. Well, anyway, what we did is we reduced that from 141 days to 72 days. Right. So within your first quarter mm-hmm. of productivity, you're going to hit your first deal. Yeah. So these are metrics that really move the needle. And the reason I'm saying that is that when finance then start to plan, so when they're looking at the next year out, which we always inevitably are, they're saying, well, actually, if this is a new norm, what does it mean in terms of our hiring schedule? Mm-hmm. So how many do we hire in Q1, Q2? Then what's the ultimate impact? of that hiring based on how quickly these reps become productive. That is a partnership because finance could, could measure those things, but if we're not measuring and managing the outcomes together and the investment it takes to drive that higher productivity, then of course, you know, these are just, these are just metrics that you're measuring, but we no focus on. Yeah. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with the Chief Revenue Officer, exactly, Jamie Anderson, also a singer-songwriter. I'm I'm tempted. I know we're going to run out of time, so I'm probably not going to get into Big Wednesday in this session, maybe the next one. Um, But I'm fascinated by, I mean, what you guys are doing exactly is super interesting as part of this conversation, because if you think about that relationship with the CFO, I think about sales thinking about closed one deals and what do I have to do to get a closed one and marketing thinking about pipeline contribution. And it can be hard sometimes to be able to combine those together to say, what's my actual customer acquisition cost? What's my, what's, what am I, what am I willing to spend based on an expected lifetime value and knowing which different types of customers offer different types of longevity and profitability, instead of thinking bottoms down, like, Oh, how many emails do I send? And how many BDRs do bottoms up and say, what am I willing to spend to acquire a customer? I mean, I think there's a lot of CFOs that we work with that when we say like, you know, what are you willing to spend? Obviously that's going to be ceiling. We want to go lower than that, but what are you willing to spend overall to acquire a customer? Where are we willing to go higher in terms of, you know, quarterly incentives or marketing programs based on an overall look? Most companies don't have that visibility, let alone are thinking about that. So how do you encourage companies to sort of create that consistent view and have that bottoms up look that quite frankly allows you to be more aggressive and innovative 
to hit your number. Well, I think the thing, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of aspects of this. I think one of the things is the data gives you enormous focus. You know, Matt, you know, you're working for a technology company, being around any company that's innovating, they're awash with ideas. And I think that the most important thing you do is you try and bring focus to that. Mm-hmm. So again, you analyze the markets you're going into. You can't, you can't win on every single front, right? So you need to create an incredible focus. Know where, you know, you know the ideal customer profile. Know where that lies, right? Work with marketing to make sure your message resonates with that audience. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we brought, one of the, the innovations we brought out recently, which listening to our customers, was this notion of commission expense forecasting. You know, forecasting is a big thing in itself. You know, that's what I live or die by ultimately mm-hmm. now is the forecast. But forecasting with a high degree of accuracy, what your commission exposure is, means really integrating and getting granular in the data. So, mm-hmm. you know, every rep is at a different stage of the plan, you know, based on any quarter. For example, you know, you could have a rep in Q2 that's already hit the plan. They're in accelerators. So you can't just, you know, blanket kind of estimate things like your commission forecast based on, well, that's a million dollar deal. So we would pay out X. Yeah. We can get really granular. So we can go into every single rep and, and produce an outcome based on the forecast, based on where something's in forecast or whether it's upside, you know, and you can predict with a degree of certainty what the commission earnings is per deal, yeah. per rep. Yeah. And for finance, the, the what I would say is, again, the relationship between the CRO and the chief financial officer, that visibility gives us an, an incredible amount of credibility when it comes to providing them information, which, again, can help someone not miss their commission earnings forecast by several million dollars, which does actually happen and has a material impact on a public company. Yeah. Well, and I think that level of visibility also in, unlocks a level of creativity and innovation across the sales and marketing teams to to not only ensure their sales teams are successful, but make sure your reps are, are, are earning out what they deserve and what they're earning, but doing that in alignment with where the organization needs to go and close business as well. So uh, super exciting stuff. I know we're going to run out of time here, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to ask you about the CRO role in particular. Um, most CROs we see, chief revenue officers, I would say at least eight out of 10 come up through the sales organization. They are heads of sales, VPs of sales who get the CRO and CROs typically own sales and marketing, right? We see yeah. fewer CROs come up as marketing leaders and then get that role. What have you learned by sort of having that? I mean, you've played roles in sales and marketing throughout your career. What do you see the most successful CMOs to CROs look like? What should they be thinking about as they move into that CRO role? And perhaps also like for CMOs that, 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 that aspire to that role, what are things they should be thinking about right now to prepare themselves? I think, you know, be, first of all, be incredibly data and, and insights focused. I think, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I was a CMO for three years um, and I, you know, I ran my team, I think, pretty, pretty meticulously, you know, by understanding what sales needed, what sales needed from, you know, a, a marketing organization right across marketing and demand gen. I had a, a very, very strong handle on a process that I tend to call demand to revenue, right? So, you know, the demand 
capture in the market and how that flows through every element of that you know you mentioned mqls for example but every element of that through the whole phase i think have an understanding of that because that really talks to the long-term viability of your revenue organization you know and i, and I think i think having a little bit of humility um mm. a lot of empathy because you're dealing with a lot of big characters as well i think that is it that's really important so i mean I, we could have a whole show on that but you know in, in summary i'd say be detail oriented and be curious there's always new things there's always new ideas encourage ideas you know that's that's a key thing i love that answer thank you for that i think there's you know there's culture change that abounds in this entire conversation, right? Like whether you are changing your scorecard to be more impact driven, aligning with metrics that a CFO cares about that you as a sales leader, or as a market leader may not be as familiar or comfortable with, whether yeah. you are a marketing leader taking over a broader role or a sales leader taking over a broader role with being willing to admit what you don't know, to be vulnerable and curious um, and to lean in on that together. Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I, I do that on a daily basis and I'm blessed that, I mean, I'm surrounded by people who individually are better at their job yeah. functionally than I am at any of their jobs. Well, sign of a good leader when you're willing to sort of willing to lean in on people that are smarter than you and surrounding yourself with that. It just makes you a better leader, makes you more successful. Jamie Anderson, Chief Revenue Officer at Exactly Corp. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love you have it on next time. Bring your guitar next time so we can sort of further entertain the audience. Um, but this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing today. No problem. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Appreciate you all being here. We'll be here again next week, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern, whatever time it is in Scotland right now. My name is Matt Hines. Thanks, everyone, for, again for joining us. Another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Take care.